0: out of the book of genesis chapter 25 we'll be reading verses 1 through 10 so if you'd please meet me in genesis chapter 25 the text reads like this abraham took another wife whose name was keturah she bore him zimran jokshan medan midian Ishbak, and shuah Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Ashurim, Lethushim, and Lemumim. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Ephar, Hanok, Abida, and Eldah. All these were the children of Keturah. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac, but to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac, Eastward to the east country. These were the days of the, year, of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years. And he was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Malchpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite, east of Mamre. The field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with his w- with Sarah, his wife. Now before we get in, into-
1: well, Blaise Pascal, the French mathematician and Christian philosopher, put pen to paper after he had reflected on the death of his father, and he wrote, "We who are." bereaved by the death of our Father, will find no solid relief unless we acknowledge that what occurred was not the result of chance or fate, rather was an event holy and useful for the well-being of the church and for the glory of God, a providence decreed from all eternity, to take place in the fullness of time, what is left for us is to unite our will to that of God himself. To will in him, with him, and for him the thing that he has willed for us. But when it comes to death, that can often be, The hardest part of all, uniting our will to the will of God. Because when a loved one is is taken from us, it can very often feel so meaningless, so pointless, just pointless suffering. But we know, don't we, that that's not entirely true. Ecclesiastes Chapter 7 verse 2 says, It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. Why? How could that be true? Well, the preacher goes on, For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. That is, the house of mourning grants perspective. The house of mourning whispers in our ear, Life is short, and just as there are mourners in this house, so there will be mourners in your house when it is your turn to depart from this world into the next. How then should you be living in the here and now? That is the perspective that the house of mourning gives to us. We conclude our series, our second series in the book of Genesis tonight. And Moses, our author, invites us to a house of mourning. One of sadness, but not of despair. Because what we're going to see is that Abraham died in shalom, Abraham died in peace. In verse 7 of Genesis 25, We read these words, These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man full of years, and was gathered to his people. And someone said this, this obituary notice about Abraham draws attention to the fact that Abraham died not only at an elderly age, But in a frame of mind filled with a shalom and satisfaction. That, this commentator writes, is the thrust of the phrase, full of days, or contented. And so what we're going to do tonight is really survey the last 100 years of Abraham's life. It's not going to take us 100 years. Uh, To do it, but we're going to look from the moment of his call in Genesis chapter twelve at the age of seventy-five to the moment of his death here at the age of one hundred and seventy-five. And we we're going to pull from the verses that Michael read and the last fifteen chapters that we've been looking at, as well as the church, to answer this question: Where did Abraham's shalom come from? How was he able to die? in peace. and My hope in doing that is to encourage those of you here tonight who are standing on the shore of the dark river of death, because as you'll see tonight, you too can wade into that dark river in shalom and peace. Regardless of what has gone before, regardless of how much time you've spent drifting here and there and meandering in your life you too can die in shalom just as Abraham did I also want this message to give others of you a holy resolve to live the way that God would have you live in the here and now that this house of mourning would whisper in your ear your life is short short And give you the perspective to therefore live wisely before the face of God. Coram Deo, as it were. And that you wouldn't spend your your life drifting and backsliding and returning and meandering and and going back and forth. And sliding this way and that way, wandering to and fro. But with a, a single eye, you'd keep the celestial city at the center of your Focus Again, because life is short, whether you live to 175 or not. So how did Abraham die in Shalom? Well, because he lived, number one, by faith. Because he lived, number one, by faith. Ab- Abraham could have peace in death because he had peace with God. And where did he get that peace from God? Well, he got it through his faith in God. You remember Genesis fifteen five, And he, the Lord, brought Abraham outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he, Abraham, said to him, or rather he, the Lord, said to him, Abraham, so shall your offspring be. And he, Abraham, believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham heard God's word of promise and he said, Your word, my surety. Your promise, my trust. Your pledge, my hope. And God approved of him and God justified Abraham. He declared him righteous in his sight despite his sin. Because of his grace, and through that faith, Abraham had peace with God. And that's how Abraham could die in peace. He could die in peace because he had peace with God. So that whether he was living this side of the grave or on the other side of the grave, he could have peace because his faith was not in himself, but was in God. And that faith was active all of these years later. Verse 5 of our passage tonight says, Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. Why? Why not to any of the children that he had with Ketorah, this, this new other wife, but instead to Isaac? Well, because God had promised in Genesis 21 12, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And Abraham still believed the promise. And so the Lord counted his faith to him as righteousness. He died in peace because he had peace with God through faith. Well, friends, Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that whether we live or die, we might have peace with God through him. The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law, but the sting of death has been removed through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so therefore we can sing, no fear in life, no guilt in death. This is the power of Christ in me. You see, if God were to count our sins against us, if we were to trust in ourselves, then death would be a dreadful enemy. Because on our deathbeds we would be laid there thinking in five minutes I'm going to be standing before the infinitely holy God. And his infinite holiness is going to obliterate me in my sin and pretended righteousness. But we believe that God scooped all of our sin and laid it on the head of Christ. And that Christ died under the weight of our evil. So that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not in life. Not in death. Therefore we can say death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? So again, allow me to point out the obvious. If we can die in peace then friends, we can live in peace as well. And that can be hard very often, can't it? Because what we see can sometimes feel more real to us than what we believe and what we know. Uh, when a doctor holds up the proof and shows you that that lump that you've been concerned about is in fact cancerous, what you see can momentarily feel more real than what you know to be true. And when you see the, the mess in your family and the despair that's written on the, the faces of your children who refuse to come to Christ that they would live, and the hopelessness that you can see in their eyes can sometimes feel more real to you than what you know is true. Or when you see that termination letter or email from your employer or that rejection letter from your university and it feels more real to you than what you know is true or when you see the bank balance and you you do the maths and you work out that before the end of the month you're going to be below zero what you see can feel more real to you than what you know and when sight takes over faith then peace passes through our fingers like sand Friends, the call in our lives tonight is to put our faith back onto the one who sees it all and is not in the least bit afraid or anxious. That's the truth, isn't it? You see that tiny fraction of a worldly situation and it makes you panic, but God sees it all and he never panics because God has it In hand, he sees it all, he knows it all, he controls it all, he designs it all. And because that's true, he can say to you, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will help you, I will strengthen you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And when you put your trust back onto him, you can have peace like a river. Because your faith is not in yourself, but it is in your God. And when you say, Lord, your word, my surety, your promise, my trust, your pledge, my hope, you can live and die in peace. Abraham died in shalom. How? Well, because he lived by faith. But second, he lived in obedience. Abraham died in shalom in part because he lived in obedience. Now, you know as well as I do, that that sentence needs to be qualified, doesn't it, a few times over. Abraham disobeyed in some dreadful ways. And actually, we might even have an example of that in our passage tonight. We're told that after Sarah died, Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. But uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 32 says that, uh, says that Keturah was Abraham's concubine. And so the general consensus is that Abraham had Keturah as a concubine while he was still married to Sarah. But when Sarah died, he took her then as his wife. And and if that's true, then that was sin. Because God's design for the family is one man, one woman, one lifetime. Not one man, one woman and a bunch of concubines on the side. And then there were those two instances, weren't there, when when Abraham encouraged Sarah to to lie and to say that she was someone whom she, she wasn't because Abraham had started to live by sight and not by faith. However, when James tried or sought to make the point that our works demonstrate the reality of our faith. Which was the first name? Whose name was the first name that popped into his mind? Well, it was Abraham, wasn't it? You remember what he wrote in James chapter 2? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He was called a friend of God. Abraham had already been justified by faith 25 years before he'd, sought, he'd offered up Isaac. But his work validated the reality of his faith. Now we might be uncomfortable somewhat with the idea that we could have shalom in death in view of our obedience surely the only way to have shalom in death is by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and that's true that's what we've already seen tonight but there are those instances in the in the, in the new testament where men are excited or looking forward to appearing before Christ in view of the fact that they have a clean or a clear conscience remember paul spoke of this impending death to Timothy, and he said, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And so then the question is, how can we be more obedient as we anticipate our own deaths. And the answer to that question is by faith. It's by faith. Hebrews eleven seventeen 17 says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Because you see, when we believe that God's commands are good and right and best... And are better than the fleeting pleasures of sin. We will obey them because we want what is best rather than what feels good for a time. You remember Hebrews 11 also says, "...by faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin." He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Do you, you see the connection? If we believe that God's commandments are burdensome and are boring, then we will not obey For very long. But if we believe that God's law is better than thousands of gold and silver pieces, then we will lay aside every weight and sin as we run the race that is marked before us. Faith leads to faithfulness. And the reason some of us love money is because you believe that the options that money gives you are better than the options that God will give you if you obey Him. Uh, The reason some of us are are perhaps lazy is because we believe that ease is better than the reward of diligent obedience. The reason people get drunk is because they believe delirious escapism is better than godly sober-mindedness. And the reason others have a, a wandering eye on the street or online is because they believe that the pleasures of lust is more pleasurable than the joy of chastity. And so the fight to obey is ultimately the fight to believe. The fight to obey is the fight to believe. You remember Hebrews also says this, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an, un- uh, an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. So what is it that can strengthen our faith, that causes us... To obey? Well, the first, second, and third answer is surely the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then there's also godly fear, isn't there? Godly fear as well. We should be afraid of what sin will do to us if we don't crucify it every day. And my guess is we, we've all known men or women who have drifted away from the Lord Jesus Christ and made shipwreck of their faith and then have returned, having done immense damage to their lives and to the lives of their families. I know for me, when I think about those whom I know who have done that, and then perhaps a a thought comes into my mind that that says something like, you would be happier if you just, I can immediately fire back and say, well, how did that work out for so-and-so? It was shipwreck. It was disaster. And I don't want my life to be a disaster. Godly fear stimulates godly living. And we can also become more obedient as well through starvation. No, not of the body, but of the flesh. You remember, if you live according to the flesh, you will die but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. A friend of mine was struggling with online purity and he'd tried so many things. But eventually he decided to give to his friend every device that he had. And this friend locked it away and he baked a cake for a woman who gave him in return a typewriter from the 1940s. And so all of his essays that he writes at university are typed on a 1940s typewriter. Just think of the inconvenience of that over and above being able to just search the internet online for a reference straight away. But he would say it was all worth it to starve fleshly and sinful desires to death in order for righteousness to reign in his life. Abraham died in Shalom because he lived, number one, by faith, number two, in obedience, and lastly, with perspective. With perspective as well. Abraham could die in Shalom because he understood that there was a world beyond the grave. A world beyond the grave. This is is one of the questions that often stumps theologians. At what point did the earliest of believers come to understand that John Lennon was actually wrong. That there is a heaven above us. We, we might just take it for granted that Abraham and Moses and all of these uh, Old Testament early saints knew all about heaven. But we don't read all that much about heaven in the earlier books of the Bible. But Hebrews 11 assures us, by faith, Abraham went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land. Living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise... Why? For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And so Abraham might not have known much about heaven. But Abraham understood enough about heaven to be able to die in peace. Knowing that just on the other side was a world of glory and worship and love. And praise. And that's surely the key to approaching death, isn't it? Knowing that on the other side awaits us an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. When in that place the the ache in your body that distracts you from being able to listen to sermons like this one will be no more. And when that sin that always seems to rear its ugly head will be vanquished forever. Never to bother you again. And where Satan's fiery darts won't be able to reach you anymore. Because Satan himself will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur forever. And where your eyes will be dried. And where your tears will be wiped away. And where you will love the Lord Jesus Christ the way you want to love him on earth. And where we'll see him And be made like him. For we will see him as he is. Friends. Five seconds after you die. All of that will be yours. Therefore we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is. Wasting away. Our inner self is being. Renewed day by day. For this light. Momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. And that's where Abraham is right now. And That's where our loved ones are whom we have bid farewell to are right now. The children of Abraham can die in peace like their father Abraham because they have his faith and they have his obedience and they have his perspective but i must say tonight that that peace belongs to believers alone are you a believer in the lord jesus christ tonight If so, then heaven awaits you. Are you an unbeliever tonight? One who has rejected the Lord Jesus Christ? Then hell awaits you. And you may condemn me for saying such an un-British thing. But I am merely repeating to you what the Lord Jesus Christ himself said. And in Matthew chapter 8, you remember he said this, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven while the sons of the kingdom, that is the sons of the kingdom in name but not in nature, will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I want you to listen to the way that one preacher expounded on those verses when he said they are to be cast out they are not said to go but when they come to heaven's gates they are to be cast out as soon as hypocrites arrive at the gates of heaven justice will say there he comes there he comes he spurned the father's prayers and mocked the mother's tears he has forced his way Downward against all the advantages mercy has supplied. And now there he comes. Gabriel, take the man. The angel binding you hand and foot holds you one single moment over over the mouth of the chasm. He bids you look down, down, down. There is no bottom and you hear coming up from the abyss sullen moans and hollow groans and screams of tortured spirits. And You quiver, your bones melt like wax, and your marrow quakes within you. Where is your might now? And where you're boasting and bragging? You shriek and cry, you, you beg for mercy, but the angel with one tremendous grasp seizes you fast and then hurls you down with the cry, away, away. And down you go to the pit that is bottomless and roll forever, downward, 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 Never to find a resting place for the soles of your feet, you shall be cast out. It is shalom or outer darkness. It is blessing or cursing. It is life or death. Which will it be for you? If shalom, if blessing, if if life, then fall at your face at the cross of Christ. And lean your entire soul on his merits, on his work, on his suffering, on his death, and have your sins forgiven. And heaven will be open before you, hell will be shut behind you, and you will be free to sing the God of Abraham praise, who reigns enthroned above. Ancient of everlasting days. And God of love. Jehovah great I am. By earth and heaven confessed. I bow and bless the sacred name. Forever blessed. Amen. 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 Well why don't we.